Welcome to Lacrosse and Sport, the podcast for the fastest game on two feet and America's fastest growing sport. Here are your hosts, Roger Welton and Steve Jordan. Hello, Lax Lovers, and welcome back to another episode of Lacrosse and Sport. Coming to you with my brother from another mother, my Lax buddy Steve Jordan, coming to us from sunny California. Steve, good evening. Nice to talk to you, buddy. Always a pleasure, Raj. We got excited a treat. to be here. Excited for this podcast. Excited to get it going. Yeah, we got a, uh, a, a treat. We got a, a returning champion, uh, one of one of uh, one of Clark's finest. A uh, guy who's come to do our pro camps down here in Florida, does camps all over the place. A legend at Syracuse, a legend at our hometown high school, Brian McGill. Nice to have you back, Brian McGill. How are you doing? It's good to be back. I'm doing well. How are you guys? Thanks for having me again. It's great to have you back, brother. Always a pleasure. So we got a cool topic tonight. We are talking about something that seems to be unique to lacrosse. And Brian, as a scholar athlete, as a former professional lacrosse player and a new, um, well, not new, but a, a career individual who is on the verge of uh, launching a career opportunity, kind of parlaying lacrosse into career opportunities, connections, and, and the the academic and success side that seems to come with lacrosse in many cases. Um, we're we're going to delve into that, and, and we were just brainstorming a little bit in pre-show about what one of the things that makes lacrosse unique is that, case in point, we just had national champions that were an Ivy League school, Yale, as you all well know. Brian, could you elaborate on how something like that happens in Division One lacrosse versus other sports? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when you think of lacrosse as a whole, um, you know, we, it is growing. It is the fastest growing sport in the country, well, in the world, to be honest. And as much as it's growing, the player pool to select from for these colleges out, uh, you know, in terms of who's coming up through the high school ranks, is it's a bigger pool now than it's ever been where when you compare the number of schools that have lacrosse in Division One. Um, it's still relatively small in size compared to, you know, a sport like football. Um, so that's kind of how you kind of are able to have a lot more parity in, in the sport of lacrosse. And, you know, secondly is, you know, the younger kids in high school, the smarter ones, will use lacrosse as a segue to kind of get into a school that they otherwise would not have been able to get into academically. So, um, you know, we've talked about this at length before, but when you think about a student who's a 3-7, who um, has great time management, who's played lacrosse, who maybe is a 2-3 sport athlete, captain of the lacrosse team in high school or captain of the football team, whatever the case is, looks better on paper than somebody who has a perfect GPA and a perfect SAT score with zero extracurricular. So that's very appealing to uh, you know, an admissions office at an Ivy League school as well as, you know, especially, you know, a coach. A coach doesn't want, you know, somebody that they need to babysit. They want somebody that, you know, is going to be on their team that knows that they're going to put in the work, that has a track record for success, um, good habits. Um, so I don't think it's a far-fetched notion to see a school like Yale win the national championship. I actually think you're going to see 
more and more of that um, as time goes, you know, as the player pool to select from coming out of high school keeps getting bigger and better, you know, these Ivy League schools, they they can't recruit as early as the non-Ivies, so they're picking up players that are late bloomers. And sometimes those late bloomers end up being better than those guys that peak freshman and sophomore year that get that kind of early early recruiting style. Steve? Well, the schools that are also participating in lacrosse or where the lacrosse programs are strong tend to be these Ivy League schools, the first adapters in the sport. And trickling down and out, you know, even out here in the West Coast. So, you know, you're finding a lot more universities finding their opportunity to take it on, even as a club sport. And, you know, we know that lacrosse is a brotherhood, uh, whether it's men's or women's lacrosse. It's a, a sisterhood as well. And I think that the camaraderie, the teamwork, the, 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 the company in which you are in always and the type of teamwork that was required for lacrosse is much different than any other sport, and it creates really strong connections and bonds. And I think that you're going to find a lot more uh, individuals helping each other, even if the student isn't necessarily up to par intellectually or has the, the academic um, fortitude to be able to with, – to, to withstand an academic um, focus like a Yale or Harvard, I think they're going to be carried along in the shadow because everybody else there is doing it. It's like rising to the occasion. Like It's almost like in lacrosse, you know, when you're playing a better team, you're going to play better if you're a good, if you're a good athlete. So I think that will hold true for somebody in the academic world as well. Yeah, and I, I think uh, to build off that, I think, you know, if you're if you're an athlete, you kind of have that, you know, in, intrinsic desire to do better than the guy next to you or to support the guy next to you. So, you know, after coming out of Syracuse and be going through the business school, I noticed that a lot of our assignments or projects or anything like that were all group based, right? And you know that that parlays really well coming out of lacrosse because you know you're not going to let the guy next to you down, right? But you're trying to do better than the guy that's on the other side of you know, on the other side of the line. Um, so I think as an athlete going into an Ivy League type of school like that, it's almost a fight. It, it's almost a fight or flight where the athlete is more, more so not going to lean towards the fight side. Um, you know, they're going to do whatever it takes to, you know, stay neck to neck with, you know, with their peers. Uh, and that's kind of that inner drive that, you know, that athletics kind of breed brings out in most of these young, these young cross players. I I have a a quote that I use regularly that it's just really apropos for this is how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you're in high school and all you really do is sport and you're an average above average in your academics, but when you get to the world of academia and it's now more competitive in that world, you're going to compete in that area as well. Like you said, Brian. Absolutely. I mean, you're competing for, you know, ranking class, you're competing for, you know, a spot on the field, you're competing for jobs out of college. I mean, it, it's all about the compete level. And I think, you know, athletes just tend to, most, I can't say all, most athletes tend to rise to the occasion and do what they need to do to get better. I mean, think about, you know, think about lacrosse, think about cross country, think about football, think about anything, right? In order to get better at something, you need to practice. Um, and, 
that idea of bettering oneself and continuing to practice to, to be better at something that, you know, you're, you're not a, as efficient in is it's already habitualized in an athletic mindset. Um, you know, you got to practice your weaknesses, you know, you're, you build upon your strengths, but you practice your weaknesses. So that's uh, great. So Brian, so the, uh, we, you know, as we kind of touched on in pre-show a little bit, there, the you, you know, you made a really good point that part of the big payoff is the great school that you may or may not deserve uh, to go to, and that's great. You and, always and, deserve. And, and, I, I, no, I take that back. Not you academically. Deserve it. A- academically, academically. Okay, let me rephrase. Academically, don't deserve, or you know, um, or you're on the bubble, and lacrosse puts you over the edge because of you know you 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 put forth this great physical effort. You might be the three seven, and you beat out the four zero because you had this physical training and this leadership quality of being captain of the cross team. I get that, but but the big payoff, yeah. Let's face it, for some folks, and I, I don't, you know, we talked about our friend Chris Wojcik out of Westfield. Academically, I thought he, my understanding was he was pretty good. I don't think he was Ivy League material necessarily academically. Now, obviously. He was honorable mention player of the year in 1992 when I was a senior when we played against Westfield. And he was a two-time All-American. Guy could have gone anywhere he wanted to. He could have picked, you know, Maryland Hopkins, what have you, but he picked, he picked Harvard. And, and again, I don't know for sure. I, I knew him decently. I didn't know him like intimately, but my understanding was that he was not otherwise a Harvard caliber type student yet he graduated he finished and now he's he's their head coach uh, if you see the movie crooked arrows he's one of the you see him in the credits you know he's like i think doing the choreo- choreography or something like that you know the, the guy's had a great career yeah, so with all, with all due respect i mean i think we we can't use him as a as a gauge and we don't know anything else what he had on his resume we didn't look at his college applications or whatnot or his sat scores and you know, really, there's so much more to the story, and I think that's important to realize. And I think you can't generalize based off of one person's or your assumption on. He's one of many him. of those stories, by the way. He's one of, one of many. I mean, I could bring up a ton of examples. He's just he's just one. Um, but what I'm getting at is that that's part of the payoff because at the end of the day, Brian brought up, you know, what what is professional lacrosse? And Brian, you got some experience with this. What 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 is it in reality as as far as the payoff at the end of a great lacrosse career. Let's talk about it real quick. And, and how does that influence your decision-making process? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I spent uh, three or four years in the MLL and three or four years in the NLL. And, you know, those were, you know, those were incredible. I mean, there's, I've made lifelong friends. I've made um, brotherhoods that, you know, I'll cherish forever that I still lean on. I talk to guys regularly. Um, we, we still have group chats that go on through different teams and, you know, I can't say anything. I can't say anything more about the players and the guys that I played with and against. It's just, you know, it's at a time right now where it's vulnerable, right? So I'm sure everyone's heard about the PLL coming around the Premier Lacrosse League that Paul Rabel's starting, which, um, you know, I, I think it's a tremendous opportunity to finally legitimize what is professional sports. I mean. When you grow up, idolize, you know, I grew up watching football my whole life, so I was always watching, like, Emmett Smith or Tiki Barber, you know, running the football and, you know, thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool to play professional someday and something? And, you know, you make it to the, you know, the top end of your sport, uh, you know, that you put all this time and effort into, you know, starting in fourth grade and playing year-round, playing club ball, playing high school, playing uh, 
college, playing, you know, all over the world. And, you know, you finally get to that, that, that stage, that tier, and only a handful of guys in the league can make a living off of it. I mean, it was a great experience for me. It was not what you would expect out of a professional a professional league. Um, the the main issues for the outdoor league were, you know, there wasn't enough revenue in to bring to you know to pay guys enough to be full time. So most guys had full time jobs Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, everyone knows, you know, it's very tough to stay disciplined with your your training and stay at peak physical fitness. You know, when most guys are on Wall Street sitting at a desk, you know, slugging coffee, trying to stay awake. Then you have to find time to get to the gym. Then you got to find time to stretch. Then you got to find time for PT. Then you got to rush to a flight, you know, at JFK or LaGuardia by four o'clock to fly out to Denver. You know, make practice on a time on a time um, uh, on a time crunch. Playing a game Saturday night. You know, you get to hang out with the boys Saturday night for a little bit, and then Sunday you're flying back home. You do it all over again Monday. Um, you know, that's probably I would say eighty-five to ninety percent of the league, and. That's why not many guys, not many guys continue to play so long is because they can't make a full time job out of it, and you know, lives get in the way. You know, if it was something where it was more full time and people can actually dedicate the time to staying in peak uh, peak physical fitness and put you know really hone in on their craft and scouting and uh, you know the resources that most of these other professional leagues have. You know, it's just, it's just not there, and it's unfortunate because, you know, you have some of the best athletes in the world that are playing lacrosse right now, and some of the stuff that they can do is just incredible, and it's just, in the grand scheme of things, it's still such a small blip on a radar in lacrosse. Like, I just, you guys will like this. Uh, I went through the airport not too long ago with my lacrosse stick, and the flight attendant, she goes on the intercom, and she goes, what do I do with this lacrosse racket? <laughs> Like that just that like that just goes to show you that lacrosse is really just a small blip still like not many and I mean it's just the way it is and until you know until the the money is there until the backing is there it's not going to be anything there just yet so uh, but I think what Paul Rabel is doing is you know is pretty cool he's he's got a good backing of investors that's going to put up the put up the money he's doing kind of a a traveling style of league, kind of like the LXM was, but a lot more professional. Um, don't don't mistake those two at all. Um, and he's giving players equity in, in their teams or in, in the organization. He's giving uh, he's trying to set up benefit programs um, with that, uh, and he's trying to make it more full time. He's trying to give you know the lacrosse players that deserve professional experience a professional experience, and as well as give the fans a professional. Um, you know, exposure, giving them that professional feel. I mean, if you look at uh, the lacrosse world today, you know, you can't even get behind a team or behind a player because that guy's traded two, three times in his career. You know, there's only a handful of guys that stay on the same team for longer than two, three years. So it's like, how can you, how can you support your favorite player and your favorite franchise and your favorite in your local market when he's, you know, bopping around left and right? Um, well, NBA is kind of like that too, but there's a lot more money involved, obviously. Well, yeah, there's, we're, talking, we're talking about millions and millions. Of yeah, about hundreds of dollars. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, it's 
you know, it'll be good. You know, there's a, there's a good saying, right? Competition breeds success. Uh, and I think the PLL and the MLL and the NLL, those three kind of butting heads a little bit, is going to be good for the future of the sport because the strong are going to survive. And, um, you know, it sounds like there's already some Twitter wars and Instagram wars and battles between owners and players go, starting now. And that's that's a good thing where they're causing a riffle, right? They're making... They're making a change, and nobody likes change, but sometimes change is necessary. Yeah. Well, just to play play off of what you were saying, Brian, you know, and, and uh, don't get me wrong, you know, being a, a professional athlete, lacrosse player is a demanding task at hand. And, you know, many other professional athletes get to do it full time, and that's their focus. You know, and you guys definitely have to divide your time up. Um, but it reminded me a lot of like my career early was when, you know, like 22 years old, 23 years old, I'm in the midst of my career building, growing, it's moving organically forward. And, you know, I've got early mornings, 6.30 a.m. training sessions and, you know, I'm out partying till two, three, four in the morning, sometimes not later. And, you know, rolling in the client sessions, you know, hungover or still drunk or whatnot. And, you know, it definitely happened, but there was a point where, you know, you had to say, all right, enough is enough, when is when, and finding the opportunity to be able to, to do that and knowing what I wanted to make out of it, right? Like, did I want to just become a part-time trainer or a full-time trainer or a professional trainer, really, you know? Like, you know, so having that, you know, professionalism and the where the, 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 the awareness, I guess, to know where to shut whatever whatever else out that was, like, going to prevent me from going further and deeper and, you know, more, further and more successful in my career. I think that, you know, as a professional lacrosse player, those lines become blurred. And it's harder because, you know, you gotta you got to divide it all up. And that, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like, you know, to do that. Um, and I think there needs to be a change in that area. I think that you know, hopefully with this new PLL, they're going to be able to provide an income that satisfies somebody's, you know, living style. And you have to remember now, I think, you know, like people want to become millionaires when they're 25. You know, that, that you know, today more than ever, right? When I was 25, I didn't know anybody that was making over $100,000 a year. Now, kids are coming out of college and they're like, if I'm not making $100,000 a year, I'm not doing it, right? Like, they're like, they're foot, they're, 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 they're like, close the door and be like, I'm not taking any opportunity or doing anything until I make that kind of money. Well, I think you got to pay your dues for a while. And fortunately today we're progressing, you know, and starting later, you know, like families are starting later where once before they were starting in their twenties. Now, you know, most kids and people are getting married in their thirties, unless you're me getting married in your forties, um, which I recommend. And, uh, you know, I think that you got to like, there's there's a, a zig and zag and a you know a dodge and and roll with the whole thing and figuring out like what's right for you you know I think it's individually specific to a degree as well so but I have no doubt that you know with this PLL they're going to create uh, I think a more strategic uh, structure and, and platform for these young professional athletes to be able to focus and hone in on this craft and the and build this brand because it seems like I didn't really know too much about it until you addressed it now that they do have investors and there's more money backing behind it. I mean, how did the NFL start? You know, that was exactly probably the same exact way and any other major league team out there. So sounds like 
it is the time and there is a ripple effect, as you said. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, there, it is the time and the, and the time is now, right? When social media is kicking, um, the players have a voice right now and it's, it's a pretty big voice uh, enough to sway the public opinion, which is great. I mean, some of the some of those best players are guys that, you know, I'm fortunate enough to call friends that, you know, I, I see their potential and their Instagram following and the in, the influential capacity that they have on a lot of the, a lot of these young kids. And, you know, the the current system is just doing them no favors. Um, it's not doing them favors. It's not doing the fans favors. Um, so it's good. What I think it's good what they're doing, it, you know, is it going to work? We'll find out. But it, hey, guess what? At least someone's making an attempt at it. Well, it's not going to work overnight. And, you know, we still have, so instead of two competing leagues, there's going to be three. And so that's going to be interesting for the lacrosse player. So I think professional connections, career-driven people that are looking, you know, enjoying the game as you did. And so looking for outside opportunities and using your contacts and your education really as the means to your future is still going to remain key. So that stated, I'd like to segue into some of the things that you're doing from a from a career side outside of lacrosse and where you're headed right now, Brian. I find it really interesting, and I'd like you to elaborate on what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm still staying uh, within the lacrosse world. As you know, I'm still going to be coming down to you, uh, your neck of the woods and doing our summer camps, as always, because I would have missed those for the world. But, too uh, fun not to, right? <laughs> too fun not to. Um, and it's growing, which is great. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Uh, the kids are getting good. I actually have one of your young boys. He's playing for DC Express. So I heard. <laughs> so it's it's yeah. cool to see that growing. And, you know, I'm still heavily involved with DC Express, obviously, here in in the DC area and our teams are doing really, really well. Um, you know, our, our 2021 team is one of the top in the country our, our 22 and 23 teams are up there as well. So it's really cool to see, um, you know, those, those teams doing well and being able to have a hand in it. Um, but you know, on the, on the side, um, you know, I always, you know, grew up thinking of ideas, thinking of, Different ways to make a buck or um, different ways to improve processes, whatever the case is, because I'm a big work smarter, not harder guy. Um, so uh, my business partner and I, Michelle, who I'll, you know, I'll get into more later, um, we came up with the idea um, of this new company called Host. Um, and the full term is Host Events, Inc. And basically what we are is we're just we're a mobile app startup. Um, and obviously when I tell everybody – that they say, oh, what do you know, another millennial coming up with an app. <laughs> um, well, this app seems to be a pretty good niche for us. Um, so basically what it is, it's a platform on your phone. Right now we're available in the iOS app store. Um, it's called Host. And what we do is we provide a platform that connects, uh, you know, your city's best bartenders with, private events, public events, anyone that needs uh, a bartending presence or a bar presence, um, whether it's a corporate function, you know, at your office, a happy hour, a holiday party, you know, whatever the case is, to uh, luxury apartment resident buildings that hold, that hold wine down Wednesdays or, you know, tequila tasting Tuesdays. To you know, Fourth of July parties on on your roof at home, or a housewarming party, or you know, you're having a dinner and you want a sommelier come and help pair wine and food and talk about it. 
So those are all things that our platform is providing, and we're just connecting. You know, we found a problem and we created a solution for it, uh, and it's it's really really cool, and we're excited to watch it grow. I love the idea. I think it's a great idea. I learned about it over the summer and immediately thought of some key people that I did introduce you to that unfortunately didn't work out, but I think it's brilliant. I love what you just said there about you identified a problem and created a solution. To me, that is the key to success. Once you do that, it's just, it's just time. Right now, all you need to do is just weather the time and the bumps and, and uh, you know, bruises that you take as a business owner or startup and, you know, within years and, con- you know, and, and continue- continuation and consistency, this is going to be an uber success. I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. I love the idea. Problems are opportunities, gentlemen. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've... You know, and it's not like we were the first person in this space either, right? There were, we've done our research, we looked into, you know, different models. And obviously right now the shared economy space is a very, very big, big, it's a thriving industry. It's growing because, you know, it's, it's what can I do as a side gig? It's how can I make an extra, you know, set of income as opposed to maybe my nine to five or, um, you know, how can I, you know, make what I want on my own terms? And that was a big thing. And, you know, you see that the shared economy platform is successful. You look at, and, you know, these are obviously unicorns, but you look at Uber, you look at Airbnb, you look at Rover, you look at WAG, uh, you know, you look, you look at Easy Cater, right? All those are platforms connecting two people that provide something, right? So I listened to the Uber podcast the other day, and the guy, how he came up with it, he was saying, God, everyone has all these cars that are just depreciating assets sitting in their driveway. How can we make them earn their worth? Like, oh, well, I'll just create a platform. Why can't people drive people around in them? And then Uber was created. Genius, right? It's such a simple concept, genius. Now, granted, he had to deal with a lot of insurance issues and, you know, different... uh, different obstacles, Steve, as you were saying, as a, as a startup uh, business owner kind of faces. Um, but, you know, he, he saw a problem, he came up with a solution, and now he totally disrupted the taxi cab industry. Um, you know, being in the bartending industry, in the liquor space, it's one of the oldest, oldest professions in the world. Second oldest. We know what the oldest Second is. We won't mention that on the podcast. Two weeks, which one? Prostitution. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's the second oldest industry in the world, and it's it's one of the most untouched industries in the world. It's very rock and chisel. Um, there hasn't been much tech advancements in the bartending world. I mean, granted, what what can you change about you know making drinks, making people happy, making good connections, uh, you know, owning your craft? You know, we're just providing a platform for people that you know are interested in making an extra set of income or building, you know, building their brand, you know, around their bartending craft. And that was our biggest thing is, you know, we had my business partner, Michelle and I, we both went to Syracuse. We both bartended during our time at Syracuse and bartended after. Um, and we had so many people coming up to us saying, Hey, can you come do my private event here? Can you come do you know, my office and do this? Can you come do my wedding? I need a bartender. Do you know any good bartenders? And it was just a reoccurring theme of, what would you do if you weren't asking me? And, you know, we did our research and 
know, there were a couple companies that were out there that were kind of like us, but you know, there's something that they didn't have that we do that I'll get into. But current right now, the only way to really do that is to go on Facebook and post the status that says, I need a bartender. Do you know anyone? And go on Craigslist. Um, you know, those are like the main two right now. Those are like, I think 60%, 70% of the space of how people find bartenders for private events. Now the biggest problem with that, that we found is, okay, who is that guy on the other side of the Craigslist ad? Who is that woman on the other side of the Facebook post? You don't know who's vetting them. Right. Um, so through our platform, you know, all the bartenders have to go through a very rigorous vetting process. Um, they have to, they have to be uh, tips or serve safe certified, which is a alcohol training course. They need a minimum of four years experience behind the bar um, uh, or the private event space industry. Um, they also need to pass a background check and be a citizen uh, of the country that we're in. Um, the background check was big for us because we are potentially going into your home. Um, you know, and we want to make sure that people that we're sending to your house are qualified. Uh, you know, we preach our our services, our, our trustworthiness, and, you know, we do a very good job of vetting through all of our bartenders. Now, does every bartender make our platform? No. I think right now probably 30 or 40% of our applicants make our platform as opposed to the other 60 or 70 that sign up, go through the application process, and then, you know, we do a, an interview. Sometimes they don't pass the background check. Their resume is not up to standard. Their, reference and so their references don't pan out. Or sometimes their personality just isn't there for us. Um, and, you know, we want to put the best possible product or service every single time. Um, you know, it only takes uh, one, you know, it, what's that saying? It, it, it only, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Right. And right now we're so new that most of our events are first impressions. So um, this, this is really cool. So say theoretically our next pro camp in uh, 2019, which we'll be talking about shortly. Um, I mean, not not tonight, but we'll be in discussions with in, in the next probably few weeks. But let's say theoretically I want to host a big fundraiser with the, with the pros at a, you know, a local hall that we can rent out. Um, we could use your app to get a fully vetted bartender, this background check to be around, obviously, families, and we, uh, clearly kids would not be at this event. But, um, you know, come in, meet the pros, enjoy some great drinks. It's, I just go to this app and I could find a fully vetted, fully experienced bartender. Is that, am I summing it up pretty well in terms of what I could accomplish yeah. using your app? Yeah, in a nutshell. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. Um, that could happen, yeah, by the way. That's not hypothetical. I'm, I'm actually the wheels, yeah. are, wheels are turning right now. <laughs> so I mean, like I said, we just had our first. You know, we've been beta testing in Boston for the last four months. We've done about 97 events since we launched in the App Store May 29th uh, or May 28th. Sorry, it was Memorial Day we launched. Um, and, you know, we've been doing a lot of our beta testing in Boston, getting the bugs, getting the kinks out of our process and our, and our app. Um, there's been a lot of back-end development, development that's been going on um, to kind of help us along as we scale. But like I said today, we just had our first event posted in Miami uh, just three hours ago, and we were like, how did they even hear about us? Um, 
So it's starting to spread, which is cool. And yeah, I mean, that it's it's as simple as okay, I'm I'm having an event tomorrow or in four months that I need one to a hundred bartenders for. So you go on the app, you host your event, and you put the details. You know, time, location, special requests. Um, you know, we have people that were doing luau's over the summer that wanted our bartenders to wear Hawaiian themed shirts. <laughs> that was a special request. Um, and then basically what will happen is bartenders in your local area within a 30-mile radius will apply to your event. You could sift through their bios, their reviews, their pictures, their past events, and you select who you feel comfortable with. Um, we modeled it after the Rover platform, which is that dog-walking platform. Um, and it's a, it's a two-tier rating system, right? So the users have the ability to control the services that they are provided. Um, you know, if I always use this example, you know, and you guys, we can talk about this here on the app. You know, how do you rate your Uber driver? You just get out of your car and put five stars every time? Um, you know, there's a lot of people that do. And, you know, you're just granting them, you know, you're basically giving them a trophy, a participation trophy. Was it really a five-star experience? You, know, you went to sleep at a Best Western and you woke up. Is that a five-star hotel in your mind? Maybe it is. But, you know, our app is designed to have the event host rate the bartender and the bartender rate the event host. This way we're creating the best possible services from both ends and creating just a good, good source of chemistry kind of connecting. Yeah, that sounds sounds amazing. Um, the the um, you you'd mentioned your partner Michelle. Um, you know, you want to bring her up and and d- discuss how you know what her role in this is. Yeah. So Michelle, like I said, Michelle and I Michelle and I went to Syracuse together. We uh, we both went through uh, the business school there at Syracuse. I was in accounting, and she was in uh, finance and entrepreneurship. And we both took a class called Triple E, which was an amazing course offered uh, by Syracuse by, uh, um, in women in the business school. And basically, you had to develop a whole business product, a whole business plan. You had to pitch it. It was almost like a, a shark tank. Uh, and if you won in your grade, you got like ten grand to start a company. Well, that kind of started sparking our kind of entrepreneurial mindset. And her and I would always go back and forth with ideas for the last three, four, five years. Since graduation, you know, we were coming up with different, um, you know, parking apps, financial apps, uh, you know, different businesses that we, you know, we would look, look at a problem, try and find a solution. And we really couldn't come up with one. And then all of a sudden, Michelle was just like, hey, I have another idea. And we were chatting on the phone, and she brought it to my attention, and we ended up talking for like three to four hours, felt like ten minutes. And sure, as you guys know, when you get in a conversation like that, you just know that something's there. Um, we kept spinning off different ideas, future iterations, long term, short term. How do we get it going? Who do we? Co- you know, it just like everything seemed to line up, and then um, you know, essentially it was her idea. So she is the, you know, this, the founder and CEO of Host Events. You know, I am the co-founder and COO. Um, and, you know, we've had a really good partnership going forth. And, you know, when we finally took that napkin that we wrote on 
uh, all these business ideas for what is host. I mean, at the time, Roger and Steve, you should have seen the Excel spreadsheet of names of company uh, for this company that we have. I think it was like 500 names deep um, of what we were trying to call it. And uh, we took it to an incubator, which is a, uh, a company that takes intellectual property, takes ideas. Uh, we presented our business plan to them. We presented our idea. They loved it. Um, they supported us. They, uh, they financially supported us through a pre-seed funding round. And they provided all the resources to build out the app, to build out the website, to build, you know, to get it incorporated, uh, basically get you to where you're off and running, and then they cut the cord, and now it's up to her and I to run with it. Um, uh, you know, that company was called Launchbyte, which is now called KB Ventures, um, and they were absolutely tremendous for us. Um, and then now Michelle and I, since getting the cord cut May 29th after being in the App Store, it's just been, you know, a lot of, you know, like as Steve was saying before, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Um uh, and lots of different, and lots of learning along the way. That's the biggest thing that I'll say is I've learned more in these last probably year and a half since taking this from pen to paper to the incubator than I probably learned in my 22 years of school. Um, kind of learning on hand and doing something that you love and really passionate about it. And when you find your why, it makes, it makes thing it kind of shows things in a clearer light. Um, and Michelle and I work great together. You know, she's super, you know, type A driven. Um, you know, she can sell ice to an Eskimo. It's incredible. And she just, she just gets it done. And then, you know, I kind of round out with kind of a little bit more of a, a, a happy vibe, kind of, you know, keeping things light, but also, you know, keeping connections, uh, you know, grinding, making sure things, you know, where we're not running too fast where we run out of our own shoes, but also, you know, growing according to, to size. Um, so it's been an exciting venture. Um, it really has. Um, you know, we just expanded into a couple new markets, uh, the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Connecticut, New Hampshire, uh, Florida, as I mentioned. Uh, we just had our first event posted there. Um, it, it's been really cool. I mean, every time we get an a event posted from a new label, which Michelle and I, Michelle coined this term, a new label is basically a, a business logo. Um, we just had Amazon post an event that they're holding in Boston uh, next week. Um, we have an event for uh, Lululemon, one of the outlet, uh, one of the stores here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, posting an event uh, in two weeks. We've done events for uh, Converse, Wayfair, HubSpot, uh, startups like Modus and Lola. Um, the founder of Kayak actually started Lola, so it's pretty cool to kind of be in the realm or be like in those scenarios with these big names and they're actually using something that we built, you know, we provided, we took from paper and it, now it's actually working. And I applaud you, you know, and I think let's, let's bring this and tie this into lacrosse and career and opportunity. You know, this is the game of lacrosse, right? It's just a different playing field. There are different strategies. There are different, uh, there, there's different stakes at hand, but basically you're playing a game, brother, you know, and, and that's how you, then I don't mean that directly towards you. I, I mean this really towards everybody out there listening, you know, in the, the real world, both Roger and I are entrepreneurs. We build businesses and grown businesses and we've failed businesses 
and uh, you know, but our success rate is higher than our failure rate. But it's the you know that's what it is. It's you don't you don't succeed board. without failing. I mean that's right. just life, it's, and that that applies to sport points. as well as life. That's right. It's putting points on the board, or you know, or or balls in the net, and, and, and you know, playing and strategizing, and you know, creating opportunity, and uh, it's it's awesome. And I think that anybody who plays the game of lacrosse long term, whether it's just in high school or you're playing collegiately and professionally, you're going to have the the foundation to grow, build, create business, uh, sustain, like be, be relevant in business, whether you work for yourself or with somebody, because there's always trials and tribulations. There's always going to be someone on your team you may not vibe with as well as you do with somebody else. And you got to know how to like manage all those emotions and manage all those, uh, scenarios. And, I think the game of lacrosse is a, an outstanding opportunity other than just going to a great school, an Ivy League school like we mentioned earlier, but a great opportunity to build experience and grow on that for your life in your career and family and wherever else. So I, I think it's, that's a, a real big tie-in to this game. Brian, what, you have a website you'd noted. What, what is that website? You want to announce it? here yeah it's uh www.hostdrinks.com hostdrinks.com that's just that's pretty simple you know that's easy yeah, to remember it's, it's kind of dry and uh no, in dry, the abs- it's not dry it's it's recognizable it's yeah you can't i can forget well, that it's it's dry it's, 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 it's wet, wet. <laughs> it's, yeah it's wet it's it's kind of dry in a sense that it's easy to remember yeah, and, yeah. you know we try try to keep it simple sure. um hostdrinks.com no, but steve to parlay into what you're saying i mean um you're 100% right. Like, you know, the way that I kind of picture it is, you know, I like to use Syracuse as an example because Michelle and I both went there and I played there. You know, Michelle and I are the Syracuse lacrosse team right now in a very weird sense. Like, we're, you know, we're teammates. Um, you know, we have a good chemistry going. You know, we put forth the pregame routine that we do. You know, we do a good job doing our research, our scout in terms of, you know, people that we want to go after and, you know, making sure we are recruiting to our team effectively in terms of bartenders. Uh, you know, those are other our teammates as well, whether they think they are or they're not, even though they're subcontracted employees, they're our teammates, right? They're representing our brand as much as they are themselves. Um, you know, and every day is game day for us. You know, you go to bed the night before preparing your, you know, your, your pregame checklist for the next day your to-do list, your what are you going to accomplish, what are you going to get done, you know, what are you going to try to win at, and waking up the next day and attacking it, uh, going out and, you know, playing a little, much longer than 60 minutes, but, you know, getting after it. And, um, you know, one thing that I will say is uh, in terms of parlaying athletics and, you know, not just lacrosse but any sport with, with business is, you know, there, there are ups and downs, right, and you guys know that. Um, better probably than anybody. Um, but I think being an athlete and being able to deal with those downs and being able to stay humble in those highs comes almost as a second nature. Like a lot of people say like, Oh, you're seeing, you know, this just happened. How do you feel? And it's like, okay, well I also got scored on in overtime in front of 35,000 people and lost the game for, you know, the school that I represent. And, you know, it's totally my fault. How do you think I felt then? You know, that, that kind of, you know, that kind of sets you up for, 
you know, to be able to take that big L, to be able to take that slap in the face and use it to keep your emotions in check and continue to push forward because life doesn't end just because you let an OT winner, right? The sun comes up the next day, you still wake up the next day, and you just learn from that OT winner. What did you do wrong? Did I misstep? Did I not cut my angle off correctly? You know, was I not on his hands? Um, did I not close him at GLE, right? What did I do in that business meeting? Did, was I not prepared? Did I not have the right notes? Did I not know what my client was looking for? And I just assumed, um, you know, you take losses, but you also take, you know, and those losses teach you how to win. If I fail 99 times and I succeed once, I just found 99 ways not to do something. Um, so next time I go at it, I'll do that one way more often. Um, so I definitely think that's a way that kind of, my lacrosse career has kind of shaped my mindset going forward into my business career. Steve, uh, so so t- time flies when we're when we're having fun. It's always so much fun to talk to Brian McGill. We're, at this point, he's uh, he, he's become a, a brother to us. Um, obviously, the the hometown connection is fantastic. The camps have been amazing. The lacrosse has been amazing. Um, the uh, Brian, I, I would just like to. Um, mentioned to the, the the listeners out there that ten uh, many of which I think there's 500 plus now that read read my blog the creators game uh, gonna put together a profiles in lacrosse player uh, career building and uh, do a whole showcase on this and um, I'll get with you on that and we'll have that posted in this episode also gonna have just to just to remind everyone hostdrinks.com that's the website and the name of the app is host events Inc correct? Correct. Okay, excellent. So we'll do a full profile on your business. Uh, we're going to provide the link on our show page, which will be on iTunes as well. And we're also going to post the name of the app, which I'm sure is all available on your <clears throat> on your website. And uh, congratulations. I wish you nothing but the best, and I look forward to actually utilizing this, um, not just for the upcoming pro camp, but some of the other projects that we put together here on the Space Coast. Forget Miami, man. Space Coast is where it's at in Florida. <laughs> Steve, Space final Coast, Space Coast, baby. So, uh, Steve, final final thoughts before yeah, we part ways. Absolutely. You know, and and, and this is a, a plug for Brian. You know, again, congrats on this, and I think it's a big uh, win. Already, just taking the first step and building and growing this. Uh, you know, for the past four or five months, you've seen progress. And the listeners, you know, I think have heard one side. You know, Roger, you just you know right there said about hosting an event for yourself and using this and, and using the app. But I think that there's also a bigger upside as well for the bartenders out there because many lacrosse players and listeners of our podcast are young professionals, people in between. I even had a bartend once when my career was at a lull and I needed some extra money. Uh, this would have been a great opportunity for me to use and utilize. I would have much rather have gone into private events and that's a great point. Net- I didn't even think of that side of it. Darn, it's a great opportunity for bartenders. That's yeah, a, such a good point, Yeah, network and, yeah. and build relationships and meet people and network within, you know, uh, a community that might serve my greater need, which is building a career and growing there. So if you're listening and, you know, I think it's really important for you to jump in on this site, sign up, do the interview process and go through the process and, uh, you know, find those opportunities that might serve you in a greater need and, 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 you know, potentially build your own career outside of bartending. That might just be the way to get to where you got to go. 
That's a great Absolutely. point, Steve. And uh, so, so final, p- parting thoughts for you there, Brian McGill. No, absolutely, Steve. You're 100 percent right. Um, you know, it's definitely you know between 65 percent of our events so far being posted by pretty big corporate companies. Um, you know, it's definitely an easy way to get your kind of foot in the door uh, to some of those people that are important within the company. No better, no better way to see a company than when they and to see their their kind of corporate atmosphere or uh, the way their employees interact than being in there on a Friday happy hour, you know, what's the vibe like? Is it fun? Is it miserable? You know, you see it firsthand. Um, so that's, that's true, Steve. That's a very good way to put it. If you're looking for, you know, kind of like that side income and, you know, you are a personable person and you are, you know, able to handle your own behind the bar, you know, the, you know kind of the sky's the limit for you. That's fantastic, gentlemen. What a great discussion. As always, when Brian McGill's on the show, Steve, always a pleasure to talk to you, my brother. Uh, everybody, I'm going to have all that information posted to you at the show page. So uh, after you listen to the program, be sure to tune in there. Also visit the blog. You're going to have a, an expanded profile on uh, Brian McGill and his partner Michelle's uh, endeavor. And um, thank you very much for being on the show, Brian. Lax on, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you guys.